Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to be reviewing what was a very fun Vanderbilt game and getting into what that shows us about UGA going forward. How was your time, Nathan? Um, it was good. My time at the game. Yes. So this is also the very first game that. Um... Oh yeah, yeah. My time not at the game. Were you not at the game? No, I didn't go to the game. You didn't go to the game? No. I thought you were the game. So that actually explains what I was about to say next. Is uh, this was the very first game that you had a uh, a, a new Twitter uh, module on our our Slack channel, and it was blowing up my phone. I was like, How does Nathan have so much time to tweet right now? Yeah, I, I, I did because I was sitting on my couch doing nothing. That um, is why. That makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> it was pretty crazy because, you know, my normal, one of the aspects that, one of the aspects that I really like going to in this, in this podcast is just like, what is the experience of being at the stadium? And so mm-hmm. normally I have all these things to say about like, you know, the things that the broadcast didn't show and the, the mood of the crowd and the zeitgeist of the people I was you know, listening to walking in, Mm -hmm. but I got none of that today because I stayed at home and like sat in a crappy tank top and, (laughs) um, gym shorts all day and did nothing. That's my preferred way to watch the game. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I love the pageantry and I love working with the band, but man, that was really nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, you know what? I wasn't even wearing a crappy tank top during the game because I very seriously put on a, um, a Georgia polo with my crappy gym shorts <laughs> and my wife took a picture of me looking incredibly serious like melted into the couch like with my shoulders like almost to the to the bottom of the couch <laughs> just like watching the game but yeah I mean it was it was a really really good experience mm-hmm. we are currently recording this at 11 basically and that's because I 11 a.m on a Monday and that's because I'm on fall break right now so um, I had already hit that hot, that fall break high. Oh yeah. Uh, because as a teacher, you know, when I, when I get to a break, I ascend to a higher level of existence. Like I achieve my energy state and I shed my meat chrysalis. And so I just kind of like walked out the door and it was just like a melt, a melted Nathan sack as I like, uh, left my, I, like, you know, my car's still at the high school. Cause I just sort of like floated away into the ether. It, it is very nice. Well, let, let's talk about the game. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I could go on and on with um, weird Ghostbuster-style energy <laughs> metaphors about my experience over fall break, but mm-hmm. um, let's talk about the game. So what I kind of want to do is I want to talk about what we feel like subjectively after this game and then what we see objectively. But what I really want to focus on more this week is, you know, this was another dominant win. What does this tell us about... It's more useful to talk about... You know, it's, less, it's not very useful for us to talk about why UGA is bad. So let's talk about what does this tell us about UGA's weaknesses going forward. Not because we want to be negative, but because this is a game in which 40% of the game was played during garbage time, and at some point Vanderbilt had a 15% success rate in the third quarter, and yeah. then 20% in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, this is a pretty dominant game, and I'm not super sure that just talk, just sunshine pumping is very useful for us. So <laughs> let, let's talk subjectively. What, what was your impression of this game? The majority of the game for us looked good, like you said. Uh, I We can really focus in on which quarter we felt wasn't as good as other quarters. 
a subjective view was the second quarter was not as good for us as the rest of the game. I know that we both kind of were talking about last episode how we thought that we would probably come in kind of conservative, kind of conservatively, kind of slow in the first quarter, which wasn't necessarily the the reality. But the second quarter was that I felt um, Vanderbilt did see like a tiny bit of light and a little bit of hope, and then mm-hmm. it was quickly squashed. It seemed uh, after halftime, but yeah, I mean my 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 impression was that. We were pretty much in control from the get-go, mm-hmm. um, but that the second quarter kind of revealed a couple of things that we need to work on. But mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was heartened by the fact that Kirby went into halftime saying, you know, our defense is playing like crap, and then they came out and did not play like crap anymore. So, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I wrote in my initial impressions post, which you can see on Twitter or on ChapelVelCurve.com, is that I, uh, it was, it was one of those. Today was one of those times where the adjustment they needed to make, or Saturday was one of the times where the adjusted. The adjustment they needed to make was to play better, mm-hmm. and they did it, which was nice. You know, other than that, subjectively, I thought that the offensive line had their most dominant game of the year. Oh, 100%. Vanderbilt's not very good at defending the run, no. but they were still very, very, very good. Their line yards per carry was 4.68, which is just like, all year I've been saying, man, we really got to get our line yards up. Yeah, and we finally did it. Yeah, I mean, it gets, the, it gets a bad rushing um, defense, but still, I'll take it. Currently, they're... Okay, standard down line yards for carry, 3.17, which is good for 39th in the nation. Thank you, God. That's what I. That, <laughs> That's what we're looking for. That kind of just slightly above average C-plus work is what we need. <laughs> I mean, and, and all, and all joking aside, though, like, that it's is what we need. Process-oriented thinking. Yeah, I mean, yes. that, that is that is actually what we need because that's if there's a weakness on the team, that's it. And mm-hmm. so if they're just okay, then we're going to be great. Um, yeah, so do you have anything else subjective? Where did you watch this? I watched this at work. So for away games, we play the game on site, and it was really great that it was a noon game because that meant that I could pretty much just watch the game. And something beautiful about downtown Athens during game time is that wherever anyone is when the game starts is where they're going to be, essentially. And so from start to finish of any football game, Athens major, being downtown, is just kind of dead. Uh, we had plenty of people there because people we, we opened at noon, and people got there ahead of time just to kind of get in and watch and grab a beer. And so we had a projector screen up, and we didn't. You kept talking about how awful the announcers were, which is really funny. But we didn't have any sound, so we don't do audio at the brewery. Oh, thank so God! I didn't have to. I was not subjected to that. You didn't miss much, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was really fun just to kind of walk by and watch every once in a while, and how how dominant all of just the entire run game was. It was nuts. It was absolutely insane. All five running backs had had a great time. It felt like you know some of the stats won't say one way or another necessarily, but most of them definitely do. Yeah, I mean, I think Elijah Holyfield definitely came out today as much as you can when you're in, when you're not in for that much. I think he distanced himself from Brian Herring. Herring mm-hmm. didn't have like a particularly good day in mop up, um, and that was one that would, like if you want to just go ahead and transition into stats, that was kind of my. Yeah. Uh, this is this is like a definitely a champagne problem. This is an Alabama problem, but I think one of our four star backs uh, distanced himself from our other four star back for <laughs> the fourth position for the four string running back job. Um, Herring was had 3.11 uh, yards per carry, 2.83 line yards per carry, 22% opportunity rate. Holyfield, against admittedly a much more tired defense, mm-hmm. had 7.29 yards per carry and a 71% opportunity rate. That's so, fantastic. yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, you know, DeAndre Swift, who didn't get a lot of a uh, lot of work. He only got four rushes. Still looked really good. Um, but I mean, I think that's like about all I have to say about the running backs. They're super good. We're yeah. all, we're just talking about which five star is going to be uh, fourth string at this point. <laughs> um, 
and you know Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle are not they might not be the two best like performing players in the history of UGA football but they are certainly the two best people I think yeah. in the history of UGA football what they've done for this team coming back this year you can't measure it I really love just Sony Michelle's stat line right there. 12 rushes, 150 yards, 12 and a half yards per carry. Yeah, I know. It's and then 11.34 hits per opportunity. Highlight, highlight yards per opportunity. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's still incredible. What yeah. that means is if he went past five yards, mm-hmm. he was getting like 15 yards yeah. per carry, which is freaking insane. But a couple of those, uh, man, it was, I will say, the, the one note I want to get on the offensive line is, man, Andrew Thomas is going to be good. <laughs> there was a carry with Sony Michelle where Andrew Thomas picked a guy up and was just carrying him like 10 yards down the field, and Sony just had his hand on his back. You're coming with Thomas's me, friend. Back, and, Thomas, and, you know, Sony Michelle was just like, go, 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 get out of the way, get out of the way. And he just kind of rode Andrew Thomas down. <laughs> the, they were, I saw a joke online um, during the game that it was like, you just go ahead and give Andrew Thomas those like 15 yards worth of uh, running rushing yards. Mm. Um, and actually, uh, Lamont Galliard, a guy who I have made a lot of fun of, had a really good game. Mm-hmm. Not made fun of, but have questioned his performance several times. Yeah. He had a very, very good game. His best game of the season by far. And he also had a moment where it, he was in front of Nick, uh, Nick Chubb and he just sort of like carried the guy down the field. Um, so that was super awesome. Also, our receiving core. Talk about efficiency. Every... 100% success rate. 100% success rate. 100% uh, catch rate. And very well spread around the board. We have four receivers, all two for two. Uh, mm-hmm. Terry Godwin, of course, is 70 yards, and the next best is 20. But that just means we were moving the ball around a lot. And we were making opportunities happen. Well, I mean, the 100% catch rate is obvious, but the 100% success rate is pretty cool. Because what that means is that we didn't we didn't have a single play where someone caught it and then immediately got stopped behind mm-hmm. the line or got stopped within three yards of the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So that speaks to a very efficient day from Fromm. And that kind of leads me into one of the first things I want to point out here about my concerns going forward. If we flip, if you flip over, if you're walking along at home and you have the advanced stat profile up for UGA, one of the things that really stands out to me, and one of the things that I kind of want to talk about is our efficiency versus explosiveness on offense. We have a very explosive offense. I know you don't think of it that way. Well, one doesn't. I don't. Um, think of our offense as being explosive, but it is, um, especially passing wise. We, uh, we have the sixth ranked standard downs ISO PPP, which doesn't totally account for passing, but in terms of when we do throw on, um, standard downs, we throw long and then just our passing in, a um, isolation, our passing ISO PPP is 10th in the nation and our passing success rate is 76th in the nation. We do not have an efficient passing game. So I'm not sure that this quarterback thing's totally settled yet. I would imagine that we will see Eason get a few more uh, a few more series with the ones against Missouri because I think we're going to beat them pretty handily. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that it's going to be some real back and forth hard practicing during the bye week. So I'm not really sure if this has settled yet just for that one reason because we have not been very we have not been very efficient on um, offense in terms of the passing game. And we actually haven't been very efficient on offense, period. We're no. 11th ranked in explosiveness and 58th ranked in efficiency <laughs> overall. And my concern with that is if we play a team like, say, Auburn, who is currently third in explosiveness on defense and eighth in efficiency on defense, that is going to become a problem because we're... If we have, if we play a team that has good enough defensive backs that we're not, we can't just bomb the field, uh, the ball downfield on play action, and we can't do that because we can't run efficiently because their defensive line is so good, then that is going to become a real problem. And that's why I think that Jacob Eason still has a shot, um, because I have yet to see, as good as Jake Fromm's been, I have yet to see Jake Fromm work over the center of the field effectively to pull inside linebackers out. Um, while we're talking about Jacob Eason, I know you had a few choice words to say for those that 
don't believe in uh, his skill and what we saw last year. They've just kind of forgotten all about last year. Did you want to share any feelings you might have about Jacob Eason, Nathan? I like how you so innocently set me up like this. Like, like hey, Nathan, do you, you think this you is thinking? just going to be enough? Okay, so here we go. Look, Jacob Eason certainly came in as the – he came in and he seemed like he was going to be the savior of this team. And I don't really think that that reputation was his fault. That's just what it felt like. And then Kirby kept him. If, for whatever reason, you would like... It's okay to say that Jacob Eason maybe doesn't deserve a starting job or that maybe he is not living up to his billing or even that he's a bust. Now, you're wrong if you say that, but it's okay to say that. But if, for some reason, you want to come out and clown Jacob Eason, you want to diss Jacob Eason, just go ahead and turn in your Georgia gear. Because this guy came from Lake Stevens, Washington, turned down offers from his father's alma mater and from the local school that he grew up watching to come... 800 miles across the country to play in a frankly bible belt town that he probably had a huge culture clash with Mm -hmm. and he did all of that for us if you want to diss any player on this team like shut up and if you have a problem with it come talk to me but especially if you want to diss jacob beeson um i'm just going to quote myself on twitter last (laughs) uh on saturday where i said basically you can go to hell and you can take your uga stuff with you because you're no fan you're no fan I, i i'm not one of these people who it by, is biased against fans who didn't go to the school. That's fine. If you didn't go to the school and you want to be a UGA fan, that's mm-hmm. fine. But if you're going to diss the players and you're going to trash Jacob Eason just to trash him and you're just going to ride with Jake Fromm, which is fine, but at the expense of a guy who has come out and done nothing but work hard, like, F you, man. I'm trying to control myself here because, like, actually this does really piss me off. I, 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 I don't have anything to say to you. Like, Jacob Eason works hard. Jacob Eason cares about this team. You, you don't get to freaking read his demeanor on the sideline like you're some kind of idiot Dr. Phil. That's not how this, this whole process works. When you are a fan, you support the team. And if you don't support the team, you are not a fan. That's all it is. And so next time you are sitting up there and you want to yell about how Jim Chaney is fat, which also don't even get me started about that, <laughs> and how Jim Chaney is fat and how Jacob Eason you know, doesn't work hard enough or he has a bad demeanor. He's not just like a quote unquote leader. Well, first off, you're kind of virtue signaling, which is, I don't even want to get into that politically, but second off, like, shut up, (laughs) shut up. Jacob Eason has been running sprints for this team. Jacob Eason has run more in the service of this team than you have ever run. First off, right? Jacob Eason got out there last year for us and took hits behind a bad offensive line all year, led us back and won us four games and honestly never really lost us a game. So suck it. God. And also, if you come up and confront me about this in person, just know that like, since I'm not recorded, I'm going to be way meaner about it. That's very true, because we can't tag this with the R rating that this rant properly deserved. Yeah. I did get bits and pieces of this off the air, too. And I will say it's not anything necessarily you'd, like, you'd want to see in person. It's not pretty. No. Um, okay, let's move on. I did like the sprinkling of stats-based bits in there, too. So yeah. I wouldn't say the rant was totally on brand, but you know what? It's what we're, we'll, we'll get it there. We'll run there. And, we'll run and you know it. what? It's Will Leach and the Waiting Since Last Saturday guys said, didn't say anything mean about the, us, so i got to put a rant in here somewhere. <laughs> um, all right, so let, let's talk about, now that we've gotten out of this rant, and like I can see again and I don't have this film of red over my eyes, mm-hmm. um, is there anything else you want to point out on the offensively that you're worried about? I feel like... Everything you said about Jake Fromm, I'm just pretty much going to repeat because that's kind of what I want to see from the offense now, too, is that Jake Fromm's doing great in his position, and it's a lot uh, because of all the tools he has in his toolbox right now. Not just him, but also this team has a lot of great tools in their toolbox for the offensive line. Uh, They're protecting him really well, and he needs to give back that same kind of 
prowess expertise in a way. He needs to be pulling away backs. He needs to pulling away linebackers. He needs to be really selling selling the offense a bit more. Because right now, I don't think we're relying necessarily on talent or plays being called right now. We're, we're relying on the whole team and the process. But I want to see more from this five-star recruit, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think... Like I said, uh, I literally just had like a rage white out. I just was thinking about like I was not in control at all. <laughs> um, like I was saying before, like, you know, Jacob Eason won us two or three games last year. I don't, I'm not sure that Fromm has won us a game. I wouldn't game. attribute any of our wins to Fromm necessarily. Now, okay, that's not, would... necessarily, that's not necessarily like Fromm's fault. No, it's not. You know. They're playing conservatively with yeah. Fromm right now, which is good. They should be. They need to protect him. They need to protect what they have. But uh, he is going to have to win us a game. Yeah. And I keep coming back to Auburn, but I just... Auburn is a team that is built to punish game-managing quarterbacks. Yeah. They are a very good defensive team, and they will score. Mm-hmm. So you are going to have to have a quarterback in place there that can hit someone deep and can hit someone up the seam and can hit someone coming across the field. And if you don't, it's going to be difficult for us to win. Yeah. Okay, so the thing I think we need to improve defensively... Okay, so we don't, we're not going to get a lot of sacks. And that's just kind of that's, that's sort of yeah. the way we're playing, I yeah. think. And so I'm not super worried about our sack numbers, which are low, because we're just, we've been so efficient, we haven't needed those sacks. The, the thing that kind of the thing that disturbs me the most about our defense, I would say, is that just we have played well defensively in the defensive backfield. We've been really, really good at breaking up long plays. We have, we're eighth in the country in allowing um, uh, explosive plays on passing plays. So that's been that's very good. And we've had a very good passing success rate. Mm-hmm. But I think what Shermer showed against us is that, um, you know, if we cannot get pressure, um, and we kind of had a worst-case scenario on Saturday in the sense that we had Thompson and Trez Patrick out. Mm-hmm. So we got two, we got two pl- very, very good players in the center of that defense that are out. So you were always going to see a little bit of regression. But we could not get pressure in that second quarter, um, and we kind of got chewed up in zone coverage. And, you know, I know that, like, DeAndre Baker slips on, that, uh, on the touchdown play, and I get that, but I, I'm, it, it appears to me that we are a little bit susceptible to a very good quarterback. Yeah. Which I know it's like, okay, well, duh. Yeah, every every team is susceptible mm-hmm. to a very good quarterback. But, you know, there are some teams that are going to be better set up. Maybe there, there, there's a theoretical team out there with a worse defense than this UGA defense mm-hmm. that would do better against a very good quarterback just because they were more explosive and they were going to get after the passer more. That's not necessarily how we're built this year. So I'm... I'm a little bit concerned about that with Jared Stidham. I mean, if you look at um, standard down sack rate, 67 in the nation, which, as I said, it's not a huge deal, but it's not great. And if we scroll down just through, like, the defensive footprint of how things look, I mean, our overall havoc rate is still super low. Our pass defense to interception is still super low. So it's like we're breaking up passes. We're keeping everything in front of us. We're limiting yards after the catch, but... I think we have a couple of guys that you can get to yeah. if you have a good enough quarterback, which, you know, champagne problems. But if I think that, you know, this kind of shifts back into the subjective side of things. But if we're going to talk about this team as a team that is can win the East and give Bama a run at the least, then I think we need to start considering what it looks like when we play a very, very good team. So this is pretty interesting, too. You mentioned uh, Jarrett Stidham. He is a good quarterback. He's a better quarterback than most quarterbacks I think we've played at he'll this be, point. He'll be the best quarterback we've played this yeah, year. Yeah, most definitely. Auburn will be the best team we've played up to this point as well, uh, in my opinion. And with that being said, I know that in the very beginning of the season, we were very worried about our cornerbacks and big explosive plays over the top that get separation from our cornerbacks. And we saw a little bit of that in the Vanderbilt game. 
it seemed like getting a little slack and uh, it, it seemed and this could just be a completely out of left field view of it, but it seemed like if things don't, we don't, we're not good at scrambling necessarily. And I don't mean by a quarterback. I mean like when things don't go the way we planned uh, on plan A, plan B, plan C, if we didn't plan for it, then we're bad at scrambling in that sense. And so when, when things don't go the way that we at least expect in some semblance, then we're caught with our pants down. And you could say that sure about anybody, but some teams are better at pulling something together than other teams. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, this is not necessarily a defense. I mean, this is not like a high-risk, high-reward defense. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to send eight guys and then, like, maybe you'll complete it over the top. Like, we're going to keep try to play fundamentally sound. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. It's like, when we're not playing fundamentally sound, things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it's like, yeah, that seems asinine. But I think it's especially true for us. I mean, I think you saw... You know, I said we don't play high-risk, high-reward in the sense that we're not going to send eight on every play. Yeah. But we do kind of play high-risk, high-reward in the sense that we try to keep our inside linebackers close to the line, line of scrimmage, and we put guys on islands, mm-hmm. and then we keep safeties deep. Yeah. And what, what that led to on uh, Vandy's successful drive against us was that, you know, if you have a bad run fit from a linebacker or you have a cornerback who just gives a little bit, you don't have a lot of margin for error. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times that doesn't matter because we're just good enough, but when mm-hmm. it does matter, it very much matters. Yeah, it matters a whole lot. You're mentioning how we we don't have a lot of sacks, and it could just be from the teams we played at this point. Like for instance, uh, Vandy's offensive line was surprisingly good against sacks. Like Kyle Shermer's only been sacked three times this entire and we, season, and we've and I think this is the first true drop back passer that we've faced. Yeah. So like a lot of the guys that we've played in the past have been just scramblers who mm-hmm. are going to get outside of the pocket and not take sacks. And then Jared Sidham, for instance, has been sacked 18 times this year, and so I wonder if that's going. That's just because of the, the teams they've played, but really looking back on all of their their games, the best team they played is Mississippi State because they've got Ole Miss, Missouri, Mercer, Clemson, Georgia Southern, so they really haven't played anybody that's going to sack the crud out of their quarterback necessarily. I mean, other than Clemson. Other than Clemson. You're, oh, I, I missed Clemson. My bad. Um, I said it, but I didn't acknowledge it. I mean, yeah, you're right. They did get... Uh, okay, so I will say, like, you have to... Your point kind of stands because, like, Clemson sacks them 11 times, but also Clemson has the best defensive line in the country. So it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, of course Clemson like ate them up, but no one else that they've played has really like... Has not dominated them them on on defense, but this seven more sacks unaccounted for. Uh, But yeah, I'm interested to see what our defense can do against this offensive line and a a more dominant quarterback than we've seen so far. So I guess we'll see where the sacks come from because there were no sacks on this past game from us uh, against Vanderbilt. So... Okay, so let's take a moment and talk about this real quick. What do you think about the future of the quarterback position at UGA? I think this is a crazy thing, and I've been trying to follow all kinds of like Twitter narratives, and different articles have been kind of ridiculous so far. People are talking about all sorts of stuff. But my favorite one I read so far was this. Uh, I wish I had his name right here in front of me. This author that talked about how he's been following all these fantastic quarterbacks, five-star quarterbacks from time to t- like for years and years and years. And he, um, I he, think that was Barrett Salee, but go on. Um, he wrote an article... Or he was talking about how uh, he, he saw Andrew Luck when he was in high school and how he went to college, and he was just absolutely fantastic. He was beautiful. He was perfect. He saw Deshaun Watson, um, and then he, he went on to talk about Justin Fields and how Justin Fields is the best recruit he has ever seen yeah. in his entire time. Barton Simmons was the Barton Simmons. That. Yeah, he talked about how Justin Fields had the best Elite 11, uh, the best Elite 11 performance he'd ever seen anyone do, including um, Andrew Luck, including... Tre- um, Trevor Lawrence, the guy that we didn't get this year. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be very interesting going forward. I would not 
I would not. A lot of people are saying like, "Oh well, Eason better sign his transfer papers," but I wouldn't get ahead of myself. No, not necessarily. I think it's possible that Eason wins this job back this year, and if he doesn't, that he wins this job back going into spring next year because that's what he did at the beginning of this year. And I know um, Justin Fields is just a kid, but he's got to know that he, there's a chance he will be redshirted, and right. he wouldn't. I hope, as a grown man, an adult looking back, if I were in this position, I would want to think that I'd think through all the different options, and that if. Going to Georgia meant taking a red shirt. I would be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, and I think too, like I'm. I think we should be more concerned about who stays and goes between Fields and Fromm than with, or between Fromm and Eason than with Fields because mm-hmm. Fields is the kind of guy who's different than those other two. So we can run him in for a running quarterback package a lot. Oh yeah. So if he gets really antsy, which I, I mean, everything I've read about him is that he's a good kid and that's not going to be an issue. But if he does get antsy, I think that we can just run him in. Um, and have him run a lot of like read option stuff and then throw over the top because he is a very, very good quarterback. He's like, a dual threat wise. as well. Which Well, I mean, he's a true dual threat. He's yeah. not just a guy who runs who can throw. Like, no, he is a true a, dual threat. He's a very, very, very good passing Who's quarterback. Who's the last Georgia quarterback that we considered a dual threat? DJ Shockley. Yeah, it's been I mean, we got minute. Logan Gray, but he never really did anything. No. And we got Jacob Park, but he transferred. So the last guy who played for Georgia who actually was like a real Shockley. threat to run... Uh, was probably Shockley. It's been over 10 years. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Murray could run, but in the, the, only the in same the sense way. that, yeah, only in the sense that, like, Jake Fromm can run. Yeah. you're like, every time he runs, you're like, oh, hey, look, he can do that. Hey, look at that thing. Also, we have a our first reader question, yeah. actually, which is really so, cool. And they, they preface the whole thing with, I don't know if you want questions or not, but I got one. Yeah. We do want questions. Yeah. This is from Sean Mills. So he says, great show. I've listened to every episode and hope you guys stick with it for years to come or in the years to come, we will try. Um, so I don't know if you would entertain listener questions, but if so, uh, people claim that returning receiving yards is the best predictor of future offensive strength. However, while Georgia lost Isaiah McKenzie in the offseason, lost Jacob Eason almost immediately, and the plays for Isaac Nader are down, Georgia's actually doing very well so far on offense. So does this disprove the theory as an old wives tell, or will these issues surface later on against toughest opponent, or the toughest opponents? Okay, so I wanna, I wanna answer this in two parts. Yes, they will suffer. Uh, you know, whatever your 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 shallow, most shallow position, and for us, wide receivers, is, wide receiver is one of those positions. It's always going to surface against tougher, um, uh, against tougher opposition. But I think the thing is to answer the first part of your question. Um, it might not matter. So it is true, uh, actually. Bill or Bill Connolly has done the uh, correlation study to see what kind of returning production affects. Um, uh, overall offensive production, and mm-hmm. it is true that receiving yards returning does have the highest correlation between um, the number of receiving yards you have returning and your future offensive production. However, passing yards returning, which we had a pretty good amount, but as you said, we lost Jacob Eason as number two. But all offensive yard or all offensive production returning is significantly less correlated with overall S and P plus success than defensive production returning. So I think that kind of is the reason that that's part of what the reason for us is still doing so well this year is that um, our offense has looked better because our defense has just put it in so many very good positions. It is easier to play offense when your defense is just not giving up yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is all that will always be the case. Now, um, I do think that, you know, we even kind of mentioned this earlier when we were talking about Auburn and the wide receivers. I do think that is something that's going to come back up. Um, because I'm not sure that we have, I mean, we have Javon Wims, but I'm not sure that we have the passing game overall, uh, receiving and passing with Fromm in to really take advantage of a good defense like Auburn's. 
But I think that to this point in the season, we haven't a we haven't played anybody good enough that it that it would matter. And b if we play anyone but the very best teams in the nation, it's not going to matter because our defense is just so good. You know, I, I think we've had several times this year where our defensive dominance has just allowed our offense to just stay on the field and be ineffective a lot. Mm-hmm. And that ineffectiveness, like I mean, even if like what I would say is that even if your offense is being ineffective it is still making the defense run, right? And so, like, this is kind of what happened against Notre Dame where it was like, we didn't really get a lot going, but by the end of the time, by the end of the, uh, by the end of the game, you could tell that Notre Dame's defense was just tired, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that our defense playing so well has really helped that. We, we've put our offense on the field a lot, and we've made the defense defend for a lot of time. Defensive S&P Plus, the change on defense is much more... Uh, it affects the change on defense a lot more for S&P Plus than it does on offense. The percentage of change can be 13.8% is what they found on offense uh, when looking at just returning starters and that sort of thing. And then it's 22.1% on defense. And it really just matters. It comes down to the way you work with a certain group of people, I'm sure, on a defense, making sure that you have that synergy, you have that, you you can trust the people around you and you know your playbook. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, about how it all comes down to, because we do have a really young defense, um, other than our defensive line, right? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think we... It's a good mix. We have, we have a lot of experience coming back, but we do have a lot of very young players playing. Yeah. I mean, Monty Rice is playing, LeCount has played at times this year. Um, we have a lot of experience in terms of, like, Raquan Smith, Trenton Thompson, uh, Dominic Sanders down the center of the defense, but we have been rotating a lot of guys. So yeah. I wouldn't say that we are... I would say that we've played enough freshmen that you wouldn't consider us to be, like, um, this super experience-laden team. Um, but, you know, I think that the, uh, at, the same ta- at the same time, like, the core of our defense is the upperclassmen, which, you know, is kind of how it should be. We, ha- we suffered under a lot of sort of poor roster management in the Rick mm-hmm. era, and this is a pretty balanced team. Um, we're not going to have as much uh, returning production next year as we did this, last, or this year, but um, I think that we will have built some depth because yeah, we just sure. have had a lot of blowouts where we were playing freshmen. And then we're going to have, I imagine, a, a very good recruiting year coming up. We'll see very soon in the next coming months. Yeah, I've heard that, I mean, everybody is talking about how, like, we might actually be top five again this year. Okay. So let's take a moment and talk about uh, Nate Patrick. This mm-hmm. is outside of the game, but I think it's still kind of important. I think it is important, and it definitely showed during this this past game. Yeah. He wasn't um, there. So what do you think, what, what do you think about the way this discipline is being handled for us? right now i think it, it was kind of cheeky actually I, I really enjoyed hearing about i didn't enjoy hearing about it but um he was arrested for uh possession marijuana back on i think thursday um didn't play the game and then it comes out i think late saturday or sunday during one of the press conferences with kirby that he's going to handle everything internally uh which you're totally allowed to do that's totally fine and when you have a run for the championship like you do right now. You, I think you do handle that sort of thing internally. I don't know all the repercussions or consequences that, or if there are any that we could face for doing that, um, other than just the way that people perceive our program. Um, but I, I would not want to make Kirby Smart angry. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is just watching him. Um, one of my favorite things that happened this weekend was going into halftime and we're up by, we're 21-7, and then... Uh, people coming off the field he's still yelling at players for things they've done and i'm sure there are things that he's yelled at them for in practice and it just makes him unbelievably angry uh i did see a meme that said 
you can take the boy out of Alabama, but you can't take Alabama out the boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I think you're right. I mean, we know because, so the way this works, to answer your question about repercussions, but the way this works is we know that basically Patrick is going to be suspended for four games. Um, that's in the UGA student athlete yeah. uh, handbook. That's going to happen. For, yeah, for his second offense. But what is different about this between Richt and, um, between Richt and Smart is that Smart just seems unwilling to talk about it and mm-hmm. is just going to keep everything in-house. But, like, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Like, when you have a very good team, mm-hmm. you want to keep the chemistry right. You don't yeah. want to throw anybody under the bus. And you just basically are not going to talk about it. So I think he's going to basically serve his four-game suspension. And, uh, you know, Kirby Smart will never say the phrase four-game suspension the whole time. No, and it's it's very important that it's their business. It's no one else's. Right. Something, sometimes people forget that these are people. These are kids. Right. The majority of these these players are right around 20. And they're still learning. They're still figuring things out. And they're... You can't... This goes back to your Jacob Eason rant as well. You can't hate these people for working as hard as they do all the time for doing something that most of us probably yeah. would have done in the same situation when yeah. stress gets to be too much or you finally feel like you're on top of the world because you're playing right. your you're butt playing off, so well. you know? Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think, like, we don't even have to have a conversation about whether or not pot should be legal. It should yeah. be, but yeah. we don't have to have that conversation right now. I yeah. mean, yeah, sure. Was it stupid? Yes. Sure. Anytime yeah. you get arrested, it's stupid. But them. If, if you are a UGA fan, especially if you went to UGA, I have a very hard time believing you haven't done something very stupid in Athens. <laughs> and um, he's going to serve his punishment. Mm-hmm. And we are probably not going to lose a game because he's not in. No, we're going to be fine. Um, especially once we get Reggie Carter back. So mm-hmm. uh, don't make me yell at you and get go into a rage <laughs> whiteout again. Because just let the guy ha- you know make his mistakes and move forward. Because yeah. the thing is, like you can have it one of two ways. Either you can be super happy that Kirby Smart is just recruiting over people and that we just have next man up at every position and that he's playing the best players, mm-hmm. right? Or you can be really upset because, like, a really good player is out. Because yeah. theoretically, based on all the, like, salivating that a lot of people have done about how Alabama we are recently, like, this is why you build your team like an Alabama. Yeah. It's so that when stuff like this happens, which it's going to, We're you can okay. have a good player who comes in before or afterwards. Yeah, other things that happened this weekend, something really fun for me was... I was uh, very impatiently watching the, the game cast for the LSU-Florida game. I just wanted to see Florida lose, of course, because they are now unranked, which is one of my favorite things in the world, and it should have happened sooner, sure, but it happened now, and so that's a good thing. But the reason they lost was even better because they lost over such a trivial, silly, stupid thing. It's like getting fired when you do something that's clearly against the rules and nobody ever does it. Like not showing up or, you know, something really super dumb. But anyway, Florida lost this weekend because they missed an extra point in the last four minutes of the game and then mismanaged those last four minutes as well with three timeouts left. Yeah, and because of an extra point. And because of an extra point. They lost because of an extra point. Let's not even get into the timeout part. Let's get into the part that they lost because of an extra point. Yeah. This guy literally... I don't want to... I'm not going to say anyone's name or point any fingers, but... You missed an extra point. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like... I can kick an extra point. I can't, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you could. Um, the thing is, too, like, I, I'm fully aware that we very well may lose to Florida this year because, you know, we're all just, like, staring into the abyss and that monster will one day look back at us. Um, it, it does feel really, really good to just watch them melt. You know what I mean? Just and, a slow, slow burn. Yeah, I mean, it was just, mm, chef's kiss. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> 
I, I watched that game and I went for a run. Like mm-hmm. uh, I went for a run with LSU up one point, and then I saw all these text messages. I was about a mile away from home, and I saw all the text messages about like, "Oh my God, Florida!" from you and from uh-huh. Justin and from my wife. My wife sent me a uh, Snapchat. Uh, my wife does an amazing Coach O voice, which we're gonna have to get her <laughs> on Instagram doing it soon. But um, I, I she sent me a Snapchat of her doing the Coach O voice, and I looked at it, and I just like sprinted back home, and I missed the end of Florida's like. Uh, like embarrassment uh-huh. and so i immediately rewound the tv and watched like the last 45 minutes i had missed on my run um and it really felt good and the best part about it was that it was such a vintage uh sec way to lose just by like doing nothing it was kind of like yeah. the uh the heat death of the universe model of losing where it's just like <laughs> nothing happens and then you walk off the field lot having lost yeah um it felt really good to me you can't really, stop really it good. yeah this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast you can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. Uh, also, go check out our new anchor.fm uh, radio station where Justin and I will just be recording uh, our random musings and rantings uh, just as we see fit. And look at our website, which is not really new anymore, but it's still amazing and ably run by the, by the Ian Trap. We'll have pretty much anything that we think is important up there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, on our website. And it's also a place where you can subscribe and find links to everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, It really, really, really helps us. Really, that's where most of all podcast traffic comes from. And uh, it really, really helps us to get up in those search rankings. And, you know, until homecoming on Saturday, we will catch you in the Classic City. And until then, go go dogs. dogs.